Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoking Rope Podcast. This is episode 110, and today we have uh, my friend Nate Russell with Rosin Labs here. Nate is a really good dude, uh, Kalkaska license holder, and uh, we just worked together this weekend in Hoxie, so we're excited to get into that and see he has a really interesting background and get his story off. He's an OG uh, grower, spent some time out in Cali, so uh, really great as usual. Uh, I have our co-host, uh, Kevin Pivas with True Cannabis. How are you doing today, Kevin? Doing pretty good, Tom. Um, quite a change to have you being the host today. It's super awesome. A little bit of, I can go on the uh, cruise we'll control. We'll see about that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun, dude. I'm looking forward to it. I, I've been looking forward to talking with Nate, too. Like, reading about his background, it's pretty impressive to see uh, some of the stuff he's been up to. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear about the Humboldt stuff and Humboldt State University and all that cool shit. So, um, yeah, yep. excited for today. Awesome. And uh, Nate Darling, how you doing, man? Good, good. Happy to be on the show today um, and to meet and speak with Nate more. You know, I've always found his background really interesting and happy to get him on the show as well. Yeah, I just, I, I'd say Nate's kind of like a Swiss army knife of, uh, of, uh, of capabilities. And uh, so I'll just let you, um, instead of me rambling on as usual, I'm just going to have Nate kind of introduce himself and give, give us your background, man. Tell us about yourself. Hey, what's up? What's going on, guys? Uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, yeah, so real quick, I grew up um, Lansing area in Mason, um, kind of small town just south of, of Lansing there. Um, I uh, graduated in 2006, and then I went to school in Milwaukee for a year. Um, was super interested in cannabis when I left, um, but played basketball there and then realized like very quickly that um, I needed to get out of the Midwest, get out to the West Coast where weed was just going legal. Um, so that next year I moved out to, to Humboldt. Um, I enrolled at Humboldt State. Um, I, I double majored in English and botany. Um, my focus was cannabis um, taxonomy. So really like my senior thesis was on um, kind of distinguishing if indica and sativa still applied as terms um, in, in modern cannabis. Um, and also did a lot of looking at like heavy metal accumulation um, in plants and animals. Um, after after uh, I graduated, I was really, and throughout school I was cultivating, uh, but after I graduated, I really kind of went bigger uh, with some of these like early day semi legal 215, you know, kind of similar to the caregiver setup we have in Michigan. Um, but you know, much bigger plant numbers they were allowing. So we did a, my partner who's still my partner now, uh, Ben Richards, uh, he and I like, you know, I was, I was like, you know, sending packs back in the mail before. And then he came out and like lived with me in Humboldt and did a couple of grows with me. Um, some pretty big ones there. Um, eventually I, I bought a piece of land in Kalkaska where I am now, uh, before everything went legal here. And I was, had a caregiver grow for a couple of years here. Um, and then at one point I was kind of like done with cannabis, um, and really was like getting into music festivals and music. Um, and we had started like making lapel pins, which like at, for whatever reason, like took off during that time. So I kind of rode that wave. We were making like official lapel pins for like every festival, most, a lot of bands like Electric Forest, Summer Camp, most of the big Midwest festivals, the EDM shows. 
and kind of build that into a bigger business selling merch to like Marriott, Kim Kardashian, NCAA, like from really cool, you know, figurines and merch for like Marvel to like baggage tags is what we made to Marriott for Marriott. So, um, but we really honed in like our, our import export skills. I spent a lot of time in China um, during that time, a lot of packaging and retail design. Um, and then at some point the light bulb clicked and we were like, we're doing cannabis packaging. Um, that's like going to be the next thing that'll, that'll be a good business for our skill set. So we took all that design import knowledge, um, and all those connections, you know, abroad and here, um, built a packaging company, uh, really focused on design and custom packaging, kind of higher end stuff. Um, not doing like blank tubes and like blank jars, but really focusing on the design and branding side. And then most recently, about a year ago, where I am right now, uh, we launched a co-packing and white labeling uh, processing facility. So that's plant touching up here in Kalkaska. I'm like right next to Tom um, from Real Leaf. Um, and so we kind of meshed those two businesses together. Um, we more or less an end-to-end -end service provider for cultivators and brands to be able to like drop off raw material we'll trim package it either into pre-rolls eights we, you know we load carts we make tinctures um and then we'll design the packaging the branding for you actually physically package it case package manage your leaf length ship it distribute it all that stuff um, and kind of manage your inventory so really try to be full service you know, trying to allow cultivators do what they do best, which is grow. We do what we do best, which is, you know, the branding and kind of the execution of the, you know, the operation and supply chain side. Um, so that's the maybe somewhat long winded, uh, you know, story, but as quick as I can make it, I suppose. Well, I can I can definitely um, testify to the quality of product that comes out of out of your facility, man. We just worked this weekend together on Hoxieville. We uh, we that's where we launched the two gram real leaf, uh, the Yeti bats, and uh, they burn really awesome, man. And that's, we're super pumped to kind of bring that to the market. And, uh, you know, so it's, you guys do great work over there. Thanks, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked, to, stoked to hear that. I love, um, I mean, I just love those, the two grams in general, but I think they really mesh with your brand well. So I'm excited to see what we can do going forward with them. I think they're a great skew. Yeah, Tom, I think the Yeti bats sound awesome, dude. That's a great uh, marketing ploy there. I think it fits really well with what you guys got going with the Sasquatch. Yeah, it's like it's actually a normal size Sasquatch doobie, but it's giant. Right, <laughs> right. That's great. That's <laughs> fun. Um, Nate, you know, I wanted to touch base with you about the um, the Humboldt State University thing. I, I, that's super intriguing to me. Um, you know, and then the uh, I wanted you also to touch base on you mentioned the Indica Sativa debate um, in your in your senior thesis, and uh, I'm interested to, to see what you what you found out in that study. Um, but also tell us just a little bit more more about um, the university. It's the first that I've actually heard of it, and then when when I saw that it was like your degree programs were um, were directed straight at cannabis, I thought that was awesome, P pretty cool too. I mean, I know that Michigan uh, just has, I think Northern Michigan University has a program and I think there's some other universities working on some stuff, but I had no idea that uh, that Humboldt County and Humboldt State University existed and that it had a program. So maybe talk to us a little bit about that and your uh, senior thesis. Yeah, so um, first off, Humboldt was like an awesome school. I, I feel like um, a lot of my friends kind of like didn't get a huge value out of school or they were in really big classes or whatever. Um, you know, so Humboldt's botany program, especially and English too, but was the, the people who ran it and taught in it were like 
the best in the world at what they did. So like the world leading mycologist, you know, like the guy who like discovered tube worms, the ones on the bottom of the ocean that like don't live off light or oxygen. Like those are the people teaching classes. So I was like really privileged to be there. Um, you know, almost every day I, I was like pretty excited to go to class, which is tough for like 20 year old Nate in like weed heaven. Um, so I was really like, you know, looking back on it, I got a ton of value and like that scientific perspective, you know, was really ingrained in me. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but Humboldt didn't have like a plant touching um I mean, authorization from the federal government, like there's a couple schools that did back in the day, um, maybe just one, it was like in Arkansas or Alabama. Um, but I was allowed to like use my specimens and the data I could collect on my own. Um, and one teacher let me like bring leaves and stuff into class um, for uh, DNA, for sequencing, um, but I wasn't, that wasn't really supposed to be done. So most of what I did was like morphological based, um, sampling from all a bunch of different growers. Um, and we, we basically built like, um, it's called a, a, a taxon taxonomic tree. And so it's based on like probabilities of what's like the simplest way that things would evolve and looking at the relationships that you get from there. And so that was a main part of my study um, was looking at how the plant grows and developed and what, what um, like traits it exhibited. And then you kind of build this tree based on probabilities that'll sort them. Um, in the most likely pattern. And so that was like the base of the Indica Sativa debate was like looking to see if what we classified actually fell out on the tree when you ran it a bunch of different ways. You know, you could run it a million ways and it would say this is the most likely. And in general, we're a lot of people were classifying based on morphological traits and not based on genes. So like it, in many ways it did show that it would typify what we called Indica and Sativa were classified pretty well. Um, but then when you got into the genetics, especially like of the more modern strains, it's completely muddled. There's like, you know, a lot of more, at least at that time, which now they're not modern cannabis, right? That was like Blue Dream, Green Crack days. Um, you know, that was like Chem Dog, OG Kush. You know, the, I, like I saw the first cookie strain in like when I was leaving there. So that was like, what, 10 years ago now. Um, so not what we would consider modern, but those like really strong hybrid strains that kind of came out of like the old hash plants those like you couldn't really define it and so it part of it it comes like who's selling the plant are they calling it a hybrid indicator sativa because some people debate but basically the, our finding was as you moved from old land races we were pretty accurate in our definitions of land race um you know either coming from southeast asia or the middle east and then as you like blended and got more modern into these really what we would just i would call all hybrids um, especially as it was the breeding is so selective for certain traits, it gets really muddled. And so like now we've gotten this, this new information that's like the entourage effect and like all the effects of terpenes and other cannabinoids that we didn't even know existed even or existed in cannabis, I should say. Um, you know, and that's providing a ton of clarity on like the effect part of indica and sativa. So there's that last piece, which is, does it grow like an indica, act like an indica? Did it come from genetic pool from the Middle East or from Southeast Asia or from Mexico and then like what do the effects do and so like you know the the botanical people would say it's DNA is the answer like if you can say where it came from by its genes you call it that and that's like the end all be all but there's a there's kind of two schools of thought and a lot of people are like if it looks like it if it feels like it that's how you define it so you know it's not a great answer I guess but um 
you know, I think we were based in a time where there was really strong definition between the two and we kind of lost that, you know? Um, yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I think it's one of my fears about commercial, commercialization of cannabis is that um, before we get to a place where we can fully understand um, what the sativa plants really do and what pure indica stuff really can do medically and, and, and things like that, that will have eradicated it based on commercialization about, you know, having eight week strains, about having high THC. Um, and, you know, I already feel like you know, when we hear around the world, like, you know, Thailand land race, or we have, you know, Afghani land race, like, well, what about the United States land race and all the stuff that was eradicated before we really had a chance to play with it? And what would that have been like had that been incorporated into today's world? So, um, you know, my, my big concern is that, that we do somehow find a way um, to to keep some of these genetics, the, the sativas that we find and, and, uh, and really honor them and, and try to figure out what that they, what they really do, because they are so much different than obviously than Indica's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think, and there's like, I mean, I'll shout out a couple of people like Bloom Seed Co is one of my favorite breeding, you know, companies. Um, they're doing a lot of work with like some really interesting like guavas and tropical stuff that are like super sativa, which I also really like growing sativas. Um, I like big, long, like viney plants. I don't know why, but that's just what I've leaned towards. Um, and, you know, I think especially as like people are pushing the game in the rosin side too. I have a lot of friends doing growing or breeding for rosin and they're pulling a lot of those land races because it's just like, it's really like a turp hunt now, you know? Um, so I hope it, it comes back, but I totally hear you. I mean, like everyone is breeding for the same type of bag appeal. You know, you want to get your two and a half pounds per thousand watts. You know, you want it to be easy to trim. You don't want larve. And so when you do that, even if you're, even if you started with an, a sativa plant and hyper selected for those traits, you know, the genes would be sativa, right? And like, but in the end, if everyone's selecting for the same thing, it doesn't matter really where it came from. If, if you, you you know, like uh, there's a bunch of crabs in, in the ocean that we call crabs, but they really like uh, originated from all sorts of different places um, on like the, the tree, the, the genetic tree, but they all look. Oh, sorry. There we go. Sorry. Gotcha. I got, I got a phone call. My bad. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's kind of the same idea, right? Like, you know, millions of years, there was like something that didn't look like a crab or four different things that didn't look like crabs. They all end up looking like crabs. We call them all crabs. And now we know from genetics, they were not all really crabs. And so like, I think we're kind of ending up there where like, we used to, even when I was in Humboldt, you know, there was, and not saying like, oh, old cannabis is better because there's some fire stuff being made right now, you know, and that's, it's awesome. But, um, you know, it seems like people are like, a lot of people growing for that same like cookies, connected alien labs look, instead of like looking for interesting stuff. And then you add in the piece of like, you gotta be commercially viable. And there's so much stuff out there like that's why you don't i don't you don't see as much gmo out there anymore right it's just like a really tough strain to grow it doesn't really produce that much at least the cuts i've run and so i think you lose some of those really really interesting guys same to go same goes with the rosin man if it just doesn't produce at the right rate you're not going to grow it so i think there's a lot of pressure on people to not grow interesting stuff in the legal market you're muted nate 
there we go. I thought I clicked it off. Nate, I was going to say that's incredibly educational for a lot of our viewers, and I and I really um, appreciate the the background on all of that as well. So, kind of transitioning into a more of a marketing and branding side of things. Um, the, the, there's no secret that the industry's uh, in a bit of a tough time right now, and there's a lot of brands and companies out there struggling. So, in your eyes, um, just I guess like a, like a thousand, you know, a thousand mile view on it, I see a lot of people that um, paid for brands early on, and they just kind of like said, "Hey, give me a logo, give me this, and give me that," and they didn't really do anything with it after that, other than they didn't really create like a lifestyle or a culture around it. It just kind of existed right and now that everything has turned into a you know price per pound and thc war um i feel like there's a lot of people that are getting kind of lost in the shuffle on that so in your eyes what are some of the biggest um mistakes or traps to uh, to avoid that you would recommend for brands out there having done a lot of branding and marketing yourself um i think like it like you said i think it's like a thousand foot view is a good way to look at it there's like some pieces people skipped ahead of the brand um, that are like almost like essential business plan questions, right? And I think there's also some like key, just like mathematics of like how you look at the industry that would frame your business plan that people kind of miss. And so like one, I think that's essential is like, I don't have anything wrong. I post a lot of stuff if you follow me, like that I'm anti turkey bag. Like, I, you know, we sell packaging, we sell branding, we process for people. Um, and I do think if you're selling in a turkey bag, right, you're really in a commodity market. And so understanding commodity market dynamics, looking at it like oil or potatoes and how you fit in and who makes money in those industries, right? Like, you know, the people who sell KY jelly make a lot more than the people who like pull the oil out of the ground. What, you know what I mean? Like where, where's the money made in those, in those little touches along the way. And it's usually up towards the brand and the retail side, you know, unless you have like really big economies of scale. So I think that's like one understanding that's missed. Um, and like, we always say like, selling bulk is great but everything that you do branded will generally pull you farther away from commodities and usually increase your average price per pound and so that's one great thing right if you're if you're selling bulk at 1200 but you roll it all into pre-rolls your price might be 1750 and you spent 250 to roll them all right so if you can sell more and more as pre-rolls more as tincture more as eighths you know bagged up or whatever um you're going to increase your average price per pound so that's a great thing um it also, there's a dynamic there that people miss that's, if you're, if you, say you grow four strains, right? And you're harvesting a hundred pounds a month. Um, each store that you work with might grab one of each pound every week or two, right? That's like the max a store can take, unless they're really bumping in, they, your strains are popular there, whatever. But there's kind of a max there. However, if you do those four strains in bulk, you do them in tree rolls, you do them in five pack, multi-packs, you put some of it in tincture, you put some of it in moon rocks, that same one store might buy those four pounds, but they'll buy another four pounds in pre-rolls, another pound in moon rocks, a pound in tincture. And so as from a cultivator, you are only, it's really hard to manage a hundred store relationships. We're all buying four pounds. You're also eating a ton of transport costs. Metri you know what I mean? Like you're, the, the time it takes to fill an order, right? There's a bunch of overhead there that people kind of skip. And the transport costs are really substantial, especially if you're selling small amounts. And so the big thing is managing relationships. You could have one fifth of the relationships if you have five times the SKUs. And so that's a big piece. You can focus on great relationships, vendor days, kicking them freebies, maintaining that awesome relationship because 
when you sell to the dispensary, that's step one. But step two is your dispensary has to sell your product and they got to have flow for you to get those reorders. And so you can focus your energy on building a really good vendor retailer dynamic instead of just trying to like get as much bulk out to as many people. Um, that's like an important piece of like, how many stores do I need to move my product every month? And if it's more bulk, you need more stores. Yeah, well, as a cultivator, I mean, mo most of those things you just listed are things that we can't even write off under 280E anyway. You know, so that doesn't even, you know, like, why would you? What, you, what Which pieces do you mean? Uh, the, the sales, the marketing, the packaging. Well, packaging, it, so there's some ways you can be crafty. So totally like if you're doing traditional marketing, like a billboard, um, no way to write it off, right? But packaging is a cost of goods sold. So your packaging totally can be written off. Another kind of crafty thing you can do is with your marketing materials, as long as you're invoicing for them, and this is what we do with some of our clients, you give away a free rolling tray with every eighth. Right. It's like maybe a $10 item in a smoke shop. We can provide them for what? 60, 70 cents. And you invoice that on your invoice. So it's uh, an eighth plus a pre-roll tray. Right. And that's whatever, 17 bucks, 15 bucks for your pre-packed eighth and a pre-roll tray. Now that's a, a good you sold. You sold that. You didn't give it away. It's not a marketing dollar that you brought to a store and just handed out. You're selling those. So that's a cost of good, too mark it off so like stickers anything like that if you invoice the dispensary even if it's a line item of a penny or if it's included with the eights that's a cost of goods and all that's a write-off so that's one like there's a hundred percent right time there's so much stuff that's like stacked against you in the brand building category like they make it really really hard for us and if you follow me too you'll see me i post a ton of stuff about there's really not much parity between us and you know, alcohol, other controlled substances, guns, bullets, right? The oversight for us is insane. And it's really stacks up against you exactly like Tom's saying on the brand side, on the marketing, on the sales. Um, there are some things you can get do to get around it. Um, but like, you know, like I said, you want to put a, a, a billboard up with your dispensary partner, can't write it off, you know? So you want to do mailing lists, you want to build, you know, MailChimp, you can't write it off all those different things you want to hire a pr firm nope so um to totally agree with you tom it's it's a really tough spot to be in and like i said my what, what we normally preach is we think it's great if you have a, if you have a partnership that you're selling bulk product and you're crushing it like that's a business that's a great business plan we, we call it a one-legged stool like maybe that partner goes away and you don't work with them anymore you want to be selling some to, to to your brand maybe it's only 10 percent but that might raise your average pound up a hundred dollars. Right. So there's like, that's, that's kind of the core of what we preach is that, you know, most of the, the product is being sold bulk in Michigan. There's no way around that. You can't not sell bulk, but you'll be, it'll be a lot easier, a lot less overhead, a lot less labor. If you're selling, you know, branded product along with it. You know, Nate, again, fantastic um, information and perspective on that. Kind of, I guess I have a one and a half, two more quick questions for you as well. Um, from like a purely design standpoint, like an iconography imagery standpoint, what trends do you think are a little overused at this point? And what trends do you think are kind of like, if you were going to start a brand tomorrow from scratch, right in Michigan right now, what's hot? Um, hmm, overused, I think, uh, I guess in general, like Michigan doesn't receive California brands 
um, or celebrity stuff very well, I've noticed. Um, I think a lot the celebrity stuff, you got to really be picky and choosy about um, anything you align with. Um, like authenticity is really important in, the, in what you do. So I think that's like people can sense in Michigan, we have a really strong culture from like going back to hash bash. So people can kind of sense that lack of authenticity. Um, you know, I think anything that's super like weedy and like, it's hard for me to describe, but like, yeah, the Cal the Cali brand, you know, black, you know, super clean. I like the look aesthetically. I, you know, that's like kind of my look, but it's like everywhere. Right. So like the super clean black, um, and then like, you know, that, that cookies style cartoony strain specific stuff is like everywhere. Right. Like it sells and like, you know, you go with the market. Right. But, um, I think like it comes back to what really kills it are people that are authentic it is what I see the people who like live their brand behind it. And that's just kind of what you were mentioning before. Nate is, is people built a logo, but they didn't like live it. And like Tom is a great example of living it. Right. It's his logo is has blaze on it. It's a fish song. He does music festivals. He's there in the scene in like an incredibly authentic way. And you know, and has really good product, which is like the, you know, a foundation of it. But you, it, you know, there's more beyond that and everyone can see that and everyone knows it. And it's not, and, and it's the same with redemption, right? There's an incredible story there and not just a story, like it's lived and it's like continued on in action and, and thought beyond that. And I think like your aesthetics are important, but being able to tell that story through your aesthetics, if you're a hydro grower, great and you you know pump hype strains and you grow like super loud 32 percenters and that's your game and you align with how you align but you live that super hard and you have all black packaging i think that's great and equally powerful as someone who grows organically shows that well in their packaging has earth tones it's recycled packaging you know you're you got to fill your niche and i think that authenticity is and consistency in the branding is 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 what kills it you know fantastic information um last question i have for you is um you know i love your background your backstory and the uh the hustle mentality on being able to do a little bit of everything and it's one of the favorite things i like about the cannabis industry is if you're willing to put in the work be creative and make good relationships you can succeed really well um, what advice would you give to a young person in the industry that wants to make this the rest of their career? Um, maybe someone at like a bud tender or like a shift lead level now, and they're really wanting to take that next step, having been through it yourself. What advice would you give to them? Um, I'd say the best, like big advice is that closed mouths don't get fed. And like, I've lived that like as much as possible. Um, like, if you're in a job and in a workplace, like no one will know that you want to move up unless you tell them you could like it, it really. Ha and I'm, you know, for better or worse, like you, even if you run your company, you're there every day, you can see people performing well, but n knowing that they're not, you know, satisfied or content with that role and they want to build more. It's unless you know, you hear them say that you know, like, it's hard for you to move up, you really got to put yourself out there, like verbally, um, in the workplace. Um, and then like, in a business perspective, too, like, if you want to work with someone, ask them, you know, I mean, come correct and stuff. But like, I think there's there's a lot of like lost time and lost opportunity of people just like, didn't pick up the phone. You know, that's like, didn't pick up the phone, didn't raise their hand, didn't call their manager aside for a meeting and say like, look, I love trimming, 
but I'm trying to run the trim crew and here's what I think we could do better if I was running it, you know, and or apply that anywhere. You know, I think that's been pretty much been number one for me is like, raise your hand, pick up the phone, ask the question um, and you'll, you know, failure sucks and being said no to sucks for sure, but it, it'll make you better in the end, you know? Absolutely. I, uh, I, I forget how they said it or what they said it, but, um, you know, failing early and failing often is important because that's where you learn the most. So great information. Thanks. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely done my, uh, my fair share of, of failing <laughs> for sure. A hundred percent. So Nate, give us a little bit of a rundown. So, um, First of all, give us some contact information so people can run uh, to get get in contact with you. How would I, how would I get a hold of you if I wanted to uh, do some business with you guys? Uh, so easiest way, I mean, like I'm on Instagram pretty heavy. Nate says do less. Um, if you want to like hit me up directly, um, our websites for packaging uh, is Custom Pack Co. All one word. Um, so CustomPackCo.com, and then um, our processing facility is the Lab mi.com um and those are both our our, our instagram uh handles as well so custom at custom Paco at the lab mi um so that's probably the easiest way and uh we've got a good team and um i'm really excited about the team we're building so uh, a lot of new stuff coming out and a lot of new capabilities for sure so Nate, I hit you up on Instagram and uh, I said, you know, hey, I saw you on the Smoke and Rope podcast and I hear you've been doing some really awesome stuff with branding and uh, I want you to come over to True Cannabis and I want you to help me with my branding and my launch. What what does it look like to start that process for you guys as a company? Uh, do you do you, obviously you don't roll straight into packaging. You're, you're going to probably sit down and, and discuss like what the what the uh the brand represents right just like you talked about with tom about you know um the authentic uh, being authentic about um you know blaze on about the the sasquatch and kind of tying that all together kind of talk to me about your process when you do start with a new company and what what approach you guys take yeah so if it's if it's someone who it really depends where along the the line of your brand development and business development you are um you know we do an end-to-end -end service basically from brand development all the way to distributing the product that's produced um but you know some people are already producing product some people are just launching their cultivation so assuming you know you're pretty early on maybe you have a logo or something like that um you know our our goal is to build out like a seven skew catalog um in the end and so um in, in, and that may include bulk product, right? Bulk pounds, eighths, three rolls, like some of the really standards. And then three that are maybe interesting, but not super unique, maybe like a five pack of, of set point sevens or, you know, a, 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 you know, two gram hash that you make with your trim or something like that, right? Um, and then we try to identify something that's like really truly unique that your brand can hold on um, and like deserves a spot on every retail shelf. So like Canna Dips is a great example. It's like, you know, it's a dip that has THC or CBD infused into it, you know, like a um, like tobacco dip. That's like a great example of like completely defensible, unique, no one can copy it, right? Belongs on every shelf. It's kind of novelty. You're not gonna do a ton of volume from each store, but the brand is in each store. And that's kind of our top down is like, let's let's look at it and pull back and, and develop like, you know, seven to 10 SKUs. And so we'd look at it from how much are you harvesting every month? 
what's your goal, you know, average price per pound to like, you know, make the amount of money you want to make, keep the lights on that sort of thing. And then we kind of look at it mathematically, you know, we're going to sell 50% bulk, we're going to sell all our trim bulk, and we're going to do X with the rest of the pounds. And can we make that math work selling five packs at this point and all that, um, you know, at the hash at this point to make your average price 1500 a pound or whatever your goal is. And so some people are already doing a lot of this stuff, you know, and so we can meet them wherever they are in their their trajectory. Um, but we call it getting to the skew before we can start with packaging, before we can really dive into the deep side of branding on the on the catalog side. It's figuring out exactly what those skews you want to do. So like with Tom, we did the two gram free rolls, the Sasquatch free rolls. Um, you know, uh, we're working on some like mini donut hash rolls with glass tips with, with another client right now. Um, you know, so really developing what is that first catalog release. Um, and we're really conscious of the fact that like, I'm a, I'm a lean startup guy, a lean operator. So we don't want to sell you like 20,000 of the packaging of each SKU, right? We are totally down to be a brand incubator. Let's launch a thousand, let's launch 500 and see if it kills it. And then the next time let's do a little more. And so we want to kind of take the big top level down on the mathematical, the financial side and build a, a model that works for you. And over time, if those branded SKUs do well, right, you shift more and more your bulk product into branded SKUs that make you more money. And that's our goal to kind of ride out that first, you know, six months to a year even with you as we do a few releases, right? Because the really important part is releasing it, hearing from the customers, leaning into the ones that do really well, kind of killing the ones that don't, iterating changes that people need. And and like though it'll take three or four releases to really get a perfect product. And to be, you know, we say find your funyuns. Like no one can replace funyuns. It's the same as candidates, right? Like we want to find everyone's funyuns. Like funyuns aren't super different. It's a chip. It tastes like onions, right? But it's in a circle, has a great name, great branding. Like, you know, the two gram pre-roll. It's something that like isn't so outlandish like candidates, but if it's branded correctly, you know, the Sasquatch, you know, the the Bigfoot bat, right? Like it has alliteration, it has a cool, it's a, you know what I mean? Like it's something that like gets you in the store. And so if you're selling a case of the Bigfoot bats, you're selling a case of candidates, hopefully they're buying a pound of each of your strains too. And that's like the goal. Right, is like you get something that everybody wants because it's super cool, super unique. They're always gonna sell 10 a weekend, but yeah, you have a good relationship with them so that you're grabbing your pre-rolls and your eights too. And that's the kind of system we're trying to build, but we really wanna take you through the iterations. We wanna like launch with packaging that doesn't kill you at the beginning, that allows you to say like, oh shit, that didn't work. People didn't like that. <laughs> like, let's just throw that away. And look, we only bought 500 bags, it's no problem. Right, so we, we're really tuned into that like lean launch process. Um, and, and we know what it's like to try to launch product, products with people. And so we've seen that process of, you know, you, you can't just, it's very rare that you put it out the first time and it's a home run. You might know it's going to be successful, but it takes some work to keep honing in that in. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the big top down for sure. Again, maybe a long winded answer. Well, that's a great answer, man. Great answer. Thanks, Tom. Always, yeah. <laughs> no, always appreciate your insight too, man. It's uh, it's great to have you on the show. I mean, uh, we could talk all day, but I think we have some hard outs here. So I'm going to have uh, Kevin and uh, Nate uh, say their goodbyes. And uh, you know, again, man, it's so great to have you on the show. And see you in the lounge probably tomorrow, I imagine. Yes, sir. We can make it happen. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Nate. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Um, yeah, like like Tom said, I, I have about. 
300 more questions to ask you, but I guess we'll uh, we'll save that for another time. Um, it's been great having you on the show. Been uh, quite informational, which uh, in an area that I, I actually need help. So, um, you know, uh, you brought up a lot of good topics and uh, a lot of good points. So, um, you know, keep up the good fight. Um, appreciate the fact that you've, uh, you've came up through the industry and you know the culture and all that stuff. So we love working with people like that. So um, look forward to potentially working with you here in the future and uh, we'll, stay in we'll stay in touch. Thanks a bunch, Kevin. Tom, Nate, I appreciate the opportunity a lot. Um, love what you guys got going on. Obviously, you guys all are, are really bought into the authenticity part that we preach. Um, and so, likewise, we really, that, that's the type of people we want to work with. So, appreciate it a lot. Talk to you guys soon. I'll see you at the lounge, Tom. All right. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, we're good. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncana.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.